Welcome. This is Why Life Is. I'm Niles McFlower. Tonight, hey, we're going to have a very scientific show, although, of course, it will include metaphysics as well as physics. And uh, it's going to deal with God in a more uh, scientifically understood way. Uh, today's show is going to be on the basics of quantum field theory. <laughs> now, don't head for the doors or the windows. Uh, I'm going to make this fairly understandable, and there will be virtually no math at all. So, you know, I'm not going to be expounding on uh, the number set of this particular uh, formula, etc. Because, first of all, uh, most of you wouldn't be able to see it, and even those who can see it would probably get blurred vision. And go, I don't know. So we're not going to be doing it that way. We're going to be doing it through kind of thought experiments and uh, just using <clears throat> what is the best of my ability to speak and explain and your ability to recreate in your mind the uh, explanations that I'm going to give. So we're going to try it that way and hopefully it will work for us. And this many times we can not exactly this uh, subject field. I've talked about this piece, uh, pieces of this uh, field of uh, we'll call it now explanation of science uh, for oh, a long time, a long, long time. As a matter of fact, if we really get down to it, the first paper I started to write <laughs> on quantum field theory uh, was in a postdoctorate program I was in. Um, dealing with the subject and consciousness. It was otherwise known as noetics. And um, I started writing writing that particular, uh, uh, on this particular subject, in the fall to late fall of 1979. I actually finished it in this early, in the, uh, well, late, I should say, later in the winter of... Uh, 1982. It took that long to actually complete the whole, the whole theory that I had about it, and uh, that was a very early written uh, explanation of this uh, field. And at that time, it was virtually new. I mean, it was like a, a new idea uh, for a lot of people. Okay, today it's not so new because quantum field theory is the probably the most emerging and uh, I'll say more people are moving towards uh, studying field in physics uh, of any field. It's it's becoming uh, a big aspect of uh, people's study because it merges physics and metaphysics. It merges science and somewhat uh, religion but more ontology. It uh, brings together God and science. It does a lot of things that um, were thought to be uh, virtually impossible, the antithesis of each other in in some people's minds just 30 or 40 years ago. Now, not so much so. And that's the good news. The bad news about it is that it has the word quantum in it. (laughs) It usually gets everybody upset because when you deal with quantum mechanics, People go, no, they don't like it so much. And uh, even beyond quantum mechanics, just uh, anything with the word quantum in it gets people's, uh, you know, uh, they get nervous. 
because they think, oh, that's going to be so hard, and it's got that stuff in it that things are doing that don't make any sense, and illogical, kind of. But the good news about quantum field theory is that it is logical. It actually does make sense. It actually is not so hard to follow. It's just, from a lot of people's minds, new kinds of thinking. And new is good if it solves problems from the past, but it also creates, you know, like, oh, i got to expand my mind to think in this way because it is new. It's not something we're used to. And some parts of quantum field theory uh, have to do with how something comes from nothing. Just that idea itself is enough to scare away a lot of people. Uh, it scares away scientists because they don't have answers for it unless they're studying this particular field at this time. And it scares away the average folk because it sounds like it's not possible and it's going to be some kind of gobbledygook that nobody can understand. But neither is true. In reality, it's it's completely understandable. And it almost, for most people, seems like once you get it, well, it can't really be any other way. That must be the answer. <laughs> you know, that kind of aha. Uh-huh. And that's why I hope tonight's show will be in that uh, in that vein. Because if it is, then I probably have done my job. So let me start off. You know, I like to define things during the first uh, section of the show. It's about 40 minutes long or so. I like to define things and try to um, get to the bigger concepts so that we understand what I'm really talking about. What is this show going to deal with? And let's talk about the world field, not quantum field. Just what in the heck is a field? You know? <laughs> Okay, well, besides the connotation of field, like, oh, well, a field is like something you run around on or something that uh, you can put in some things into. It sometimes is just like a field of study. It's a centralized part of looking at something. It's, you know, a lot of people would define it kind of that way. I will not define it that way. <laughs> I'm going to define it this way. A field is really something that it's special. It's special because the components, whatever is inside the field, uh, has certain qualities that have to exist or the field itself doesn't exist. Okay? Then what are those things? <laughs> the first thing is that there has to be enough commonality of whatever is in the field that, that those things, whatever they are, that are in the field. They could be thoughts. They could be, they could be golf balls. They could be uh, any kind of ball. Maybe a whole variety of balls. They could be anything you want. But the, they've got to have the ability to connect together, connect together in some way. Whatever they connect, whatever way they connect together, is a very important element. And the issue of the connections uh, is determined by their, um, we'll call it, their relationship to each other. In other words, how does a one one golf? How does a golf ball relate to a baseball? How does a baseball relate to a, a basketball? They have to have something that is enough in common that you could make the choice between any of them to be 
in some way related to the earth. In other words, they could be chosen together to be enough common so they're part of the field. And if you can't find any way of connecting them, then one or both are not part of the field if there's only two, if there's more than that, etc. So there's got to be some way that they have a relationship to each other, and the relationship can lead to a connection. And then the last thing is in a field is that each connection, every time a baseball connects to a basketball, uh, there has to be more likelihood that more parts of the balls that are inside the field will find it easier to connect to either the balls you've already chosen or to some other ball. If it's to the balls you've already chosen, that's getting closer to what is known as a quantum field. If it's just to any other ball, that would be a non-quantum field, most likely. So, interestingly, quantum fields have a very special characteristic because anything that connects, connects together in ways that leads to further connection with the things that were already chosen to be connected. And you can say, what is choice? Well, choice is that one thing is related automatically to something else. That is the choice. The relationship that exists is what we would call choice. Choice is the ability to cause creation. Right, the ability to cause creation by there being a connection made in the field itself. If there is no connections in the field, there are no choices to be made in the field because nothing can be created, you see. And then that field would fall apart because all fields have to have that, okay? Now, let's go a little deeper in this. All right, we kind of got the field going. I got it, okay? And it needs to connect to the field, and then it limits the field. If it limits the field, then we have a field for sure. If it doesn't limit the field, if it doesn't cause the field to become more likely to grow, and grow inside itself, not grow outside, but grow inside itself as a more related field. There's more choices in the field connecting, and they're connecting together in a way that leads to a direction of the choices. There's a direction. You can see a movement going to the direction of the choices. That would be a quantum field. And if it moves, and if it just causes choices in one part to get together, and then choices in another part to get together, and then choices in another part to get together, but they never really join together as a single connectivity of choices, binka, 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 uh, without that distinct, distinct now, uh, aspect, you would just have a field of choices, but not a quantum field of choices, because a quantum field of choices has a distinct, distinct order, a distinct way that choices are connected together, always relating to a set of choices that already exist and that are more likely to take place. This has to do with probability. And quantum fields are related to the concept of the likelihood of a choice joining together with another choice. If the likelihood is greater than that, that some choice will join with prior choices, it's a quantum field. If 
the likelihood is that uh, most of the choices, the majority of choices within the field, are not going to join together that way. Then you have a non-quantum field. A non-quantum, you can still feel that it's non-quantized. So if it's quantized, you can say that there's a, it's sort of almost, you could say, uh, divided in a very ordered way, and you can predict what's going to happen to a certain point, but because some of the field, sometimes, may also have non-quantum elements to it, even though it's a quantum field, it still can have some parts that are non-quantum, that's part of the quantum field, provided more of the field does this than not, and then, or it could do that, not that it does it, but it could do that than not, then you have this thing called uncertainty. So in other words, because part of a quantum field could in itself, at times, have some parts of it that's unquantized, and that uh, is like a non-quantum field itself, although it's within the quantum field, you get things called uncertainty within the quantum field. All right. Now, that, that's a little hard to understand, so let's put that in terms of some kind of explanation, you know. So let's say that um, we're dealing with the balls in our field, and we've got uh, basketballs, and we've got baseballs, and they relate to each other by uh, one is used by uh, people uh, in, who uh, are going to um, hit the ball sometimes. Others, other balls, the basketballs, are going to be used by uh, people, again, who are going to um, uh, not hit the ball, but only handle the ball, and that's only under certain circumstances will the ball be handled, then you might have a soccer ball, which is only going to be handled rarely, and most of the time is not going to be touched. So the, the, you get into these uh, differences among the balls, right? But as far as their relationship to each other, they're related by the fact that they're used by people. Ah, now, let's say we get a ball that isn't used by people. Let's say that we get a ball that is instead used by a machine. Let's say that the ball is made out of steel or some other material, nylon or whatever, and we call it a bushing or not a bushing, a bearing, and it's used to make things move easier. Well, that's a different kind of ball, and the relationship may not be exactly the same. You see, it's no longer dealing with human elements. But that relationship with that ball in a big enough field, which still could still easily fit with the other balls, because they still have the characteristics of being round and uh, having less resistance to air and to, and to friction when you move them so they can be uh, controlled better and they provide frictionless behaviors. So they have characteristics that are still relatable, but in some circumstances they don't. Well, they would fit nicely into a quantum field, but there would be points some points, sometimes, we are, they would be non-quantized, and part of the, during those elements, the, instead of having certainty, because the problem, you could probabilize the relationships to a point, you can't do it with those parts that are sometimes not in relationship in the same ways, and therefore you have those parts being non-quantized and causing some uncertainty. 
And you can say to yourself, well, that's very interesting. So that's what they mean by the uncertainty of quantum fields. Yeah, there is an uncertainty in quantum fields, but quantum fields are more certain than not. Whereas unquantum, non-quantum fields actually are much more uh, uncertain than they are, you see. Non-quantum fields could be waves, by the way. Now, the interesting thing about waves is everybody thinks, oh, waves are so good. You can predict exactly what waves are going to do, etc. They don't, not necessarily. <laughs> Sometimes waves, if you put a bunch of waves in the same field, you end up with things that you cannot quantize. And because of that, that could be a, an interesting uh, factor. So waves kind of create a certain element of uncertainty to fields, and so if you had a lot of particles or a lot of waves, the waves could start making the field act sometimes with a certain degree of uncertainty. We don't think that all waves just do that automatically. We don't. It's just that sometimes some some particles may act like a wave, and when they do that, they may increase the level of uncertainty in their field. But I'm just drawing some things to people who might have some physics background, so I'm, I'm kind of bringing them into our discussion. You don't need to really know what I just said to understand everything else I've said, so that's the important thing. All right, so now we, we've got a very interesting idea here. Quantum fields are fields that choices can happen. Things can be chosen to um, uh, by just their relationship to each other, to interact together, and to connect. When they connect, they have an effect on the field itself. They limit the field so that there's a likelihood that more things will connect to them than to anything else. When they do that, you have a quantum field. If more things are connecting in the field, but they're not connecting to the choices that are being made in the field, then you have a non-quantum field. Okay, Most fields are quantum fields, but there are some non-quantum fields, and well, most quantum fields have some parts of themselves that are non-quantized, so that leads to uncertainty in those fields. All right. Now, I'm going to bring it to us. I'm going to bring it into what this means. When we talk about choices, we're talking about the ability to create something. To, to bring two things together is how you actually create. All creation involves that. You've got to... You've got to um, make something. And in this case, we're talking about bringing the choices that are available in the field, the different balls, together in different ways. And that allows us to create all kinds of new, we'll call it, new kinds of, and this is where we get into the idea of thought. Those things, when they come together, are the beginnings of thought. They aren't thought yet, but they are the beginnings of it. So any two things in a field could be the beginnings of a thought, but the thought isn't really a thought until it has a common direction, starts building by limiting the field more and more things in the field into itself by relating more and more things together. And when it can do that and have an actual effect on some other thing, so it's like you got six things together and it actually is a probability that a seventh thing will join together in the size of the field that you're in, then you've got truly a thought. That is what a thought is. And you've got the whole thing together just as I described it. It's not completed thought until you do that. 
So you could just have some random choices. Let's say you wake up one day and you start saying, oh, I'm going to start randomly choosing things. Oh, randomly choose, choose this, uh, this article of clothing, and I'll randomly choose uh, this piece of food, and I'll randomly choose... But you see, all those random choices do not lead one to say that you're thinking. All you're doing is you're making choices, but you aren't directing within your field enough of those choices so that you could say, hey, it's now likely that you're going to be doing this next because it's random and it's not doesn't have any specificity in affecting the field. But if it does have specificity, if it actually affects the field, then you would say there's real thought happening. That's the real thought. The real thought has to affect the field itself to be more probabilistic, more likely that some things will occur than not. And now you have a quantum field that has thought in it. In some circumstances, thought could affect a non-quantum field as well. But quantum fields with thought become quantized to the point where you get a special situation. And that is that you can reach the point where over half of the field, over half of the field has the possibility, not actualized, but the possibility of becoming directed by the thought within it. If it has that possibility, then we say the field is directed, or has a director, a being, so to speak. And with us, we say the field has a self. Because the field, once it reaches that point, is able to recognize its own existence. It has to be over half the field. And by definition, if it's over half the field, it has to be a quantum field. It can't be a, quanti- it can't be a non-quantum field because non-quantum fields never develop a self. Ah, they can't recognize their own existence. Mm-hmm. The recognition of its own existence, the awareness of itself, is what a self is. And it does this because it has the capability. It may not have actually done it yet, but it has the capability to do it. And just the capability itself makes the self possible. Isn't that fantastic? Uh, The reason for that is a little bit complicated because in quantizing things, it's the probability factor that is important, not the actualization factor. It's the probability, because the probability, uh, it it supersedes time. We think of our existence as based upon past, present, and future time, we call it. But in quantum fields, they're they're beyond time. They supersede time. So just the probability makes it real and has reality to it before it actually happens. (laughs) Isn't it neat? Kind of like that idea. So all you got to do is reach the probability that you're going to be a self, and you are one. Hey, even before you actualize it, although the actualization of it makes it even more than that. We'll get into that later in the show. So it's a fascinating idea when we talk about quantum fields because they have these unusual characteristics, which are really based upon, believe it or not, old-time quantum physics. 
going all the way back to like 1905 to 1910, when quantum physics was just starting to be developed, these same characteristics were actually discovered through mathematics and some, a few experiments back then, that showed that this was uh, true. Now, since that time, so that you don't think I'm completely making all this up, there have been millions of experiments in quantum physics that support what I have just told you. And they support it because they've tested these kinds of theories out in the laboratory sometimes. It's, it's not too sophisticated experiments. That shows a lot of what I'm saying. That this is a probability issue, and it's based upon whatever uh, choices have already been made. And you don't have to reach the end to know that there is the existence of the field. The field already exists before you get to the end of the field to prove it. Oh, how interesting. Something else happens because of what I just said, and that is, since the probability is the factor of existence and not the actual, you know, getting to the end, which is the way classical physics is. Classical physics says every experiment must be completed to its full and complete, uh, we'll say, proof. Uh, in quantum physics, you can never get to the, you never can never get to that because of a thing called uncertainty due to unquantized parts of the field, unquantized parts of the field, and the field itself is not composed of the end. It's composed of the probability of creation, and therefore, if you decide that a certain subatomic particle is going to be a certain way, your decision makes the particle be that because the particle and you are in the same field because you're doing the experiment on the particle, and the result is you get the result that you have chosen. And they discovered that, really, it was discovered like in the teens, in 1913, 14, like that this was probably true, and it was proven to be true numerous times before 1930. Although there were arguments against its logic for a long time. Uh, Albert Einstein, in 1930, argued against the logic of it, but the fact is that it's not illogical. It just isn't natural for us in the macro world, the big world where we are, to see these things happening that way because the fields that we exist in are huge. They're so big, they're macro big, that uh, they are controlled by the thought of so many other humans and souls and other beings and God that we can't discern ourselves within this giant field these nuances that prove what I just explained about quantum fields. And while the quantum fields exist all around us, we're doing a lot of averaging on a big scale, and to us, we don't perceive the things that I'm trying to describe about them, but they are real, and they really happen. They just don't happen to our perceptual field because our field is too much contaminated, grown by all the other fields around us, other humans, God itself, and everything in between, 
And the result is that it masks, masks the truth about quantum fields. Well, we get down to some atomic particles in very, very tightly controlled experiments, we can find the things I just said about quantum field to be completely accurate. And not only completely accurate, but never proven otherwise over millions of times of experiments. Why is it millions? Because in the typical college physics class, almost everybody in the class does some kind of experiment to prove some of this. So it's just, it's just too many times to count, and it's, it keeps coming up the same way. All right. Now, there's something else that we need to understand about quantum fields that helps us understand quantum physics, and that is that there is a magic, <laughs> a mystical effect that's based upon this probability factor and thought itself. Thought itself is changing the field, if you realize, because thought, as I defined it, which is the choices, I just gave it a name, but the choices that are relationally connected and limit the field, those things are affecting everything in the field, even though they're not connected at the time. So you can have one, let's say one thing in the field is here on Earth and another thing is on Pluto, which is not even a planet anymore, but it's very far away. It's billions of years, billions of miles away. And um, some, we could have two particles, literally, smallest kinds of things, little things, we call them electrons. Let's say you've got an electron over here, an electron on Pluto, and they may be connected. So what one con- what one electron here is doing, the electron on Pluto is doing. And you can say, wait a second, that's different than the time thing you said, that's space. No, 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 time and space are just the same thing, we just don't realize. So if they are connected in time, they're also connected in space. One will be affected by you. Now you could say, huh? So magical things do happen? So one thing here can be connected to something else there? And in between, there's nothing you can do to change the connection. That's right. The action could be connected, and you cannot change the connection. The connection is something that is inherent in the probability aspect of the, of the particles themselves, which has to do with the thought generator, which is us and or it could be a computer. With that model in mind, you can make a super secure system by connecting together computers in certain ways that are mystical and magical. And unless you uh, can literally uh, be in the thought that is connecting the relationship between the two computers, you would have an unbreakable code. And the only way the computers could be broken, could be broken, is to be able to uh, overcome what is known as the barrier of time-space. Now, could you do that if you were able to think beyond the, um, the mental dimension of time and space? Possibly. But since nobody I know is able to do that, that has the intention of, of uh, breaking through the security of computers, this would be a pretty darn good way of building a security system, at least for the next few hundred years, and it would prevent people from being able to do that. 
I don't want to go too deep into this because I think this is a whole new science and some of it needs to be uh, maybe not revealed. But anyway, so you can see, this is an amazing thing. You can do some pretty fantastic stuff if you understand quantum field. You can do things that, that right now we can't can't do. We don't have the technology to do it. Quantum field theory opens up a whole new multi-dimensional realm of technology. Technology in the Buddhist way of development. Beyond mental. That means it isn't structured and it isn't based on forces. There are no forces and no structure to the design, which is what I just described, by the way, which is the magic thing going on between two things. And uh, so, so interestingly, there's actually a practical use for quantum field right now, and it's needed desperately because we don't have very many ways or losing the ways of protecting uh, secure systems because computers are becoming so powerful they can break through the normal ways of encoding things. So it's just a matter of time. But if you if you supersede time, supersede time, which is what quantum field theory does, then time is no longer an element, at least not as we understand it, and you can make a computer impervious to all the models that require time. Like you can't, no matter how much time you have, you can't break the model because every time you try to make to break the model, the model changes to something else that you can't, um, that you don't have time to be able to figure out. It's always moving ahead of you, away from you, instead of towards you. Uh, I'm getting, I'm telling too much. Better be careful. Okay, so. Uh, it, that's just a little anecdotal information. I just thought I'd throw it in there. What the heck? Um, getting back to understanding quantum field theory and pulling it back into the, quantum, the idea of the field, there are many, many, many fields that exist that we are not part of. We can create ourselves into those fields. But in order to do that, we have to use our field and find a way of relating our field to the other fields that we're not related to. And we do that by growing the part of the field that is ourself, the conscious part of the field. We grow it to the point where we can exceed the field itself that the self is made of. When you do that, you create something new. And in metaphysics, it's called a higher self. And when you create the higher self, it can be part of a lot of greater, huger, bigger fields. And then those fields uh, would likely be quantized, and you can then connect with those bigger fields. And as you do so, they have a discrete nature to them, and they only connect in certain ways because that's true of all quantum fields. If they're non-quantum, they can connect in random ways. But quantum fields only connect in certain ways, and you have to be able to build the self in your field to connect with these other ways that are huge um, of greater fields than the one that are self, the lower self, little self, existence. Isn't that fascinating? It sounds a lot like 
ageless wisdom, spiritually disciplining yourself, blank, blank, blank. Yeah, all of those things. And the other thing that's very interesting about fields is that when you relate fields together, you can't relate them just through thought itself. Okay, so it's, if you're going to try to relate yourself to another field, besides the field that you're in, you have to be able to not only have thought in your field, but you have to start being able to interact with the thought in the other field. And the interaction in this particular universe that we're in requires that you create activities, and the activities must reduce rather than increase forces for the fields to join. If you create forces in your interaction with the field that you're trying to join to, the result is your field becomes expelled or pushed or repelled, I should say, repelled away from the other field. Uh, and instead of joining with the other field, you are uh, literally ostracizing yourself from it, pushing yourself away, uh, reducing that, which could be an increase in consciousness. And uh, will say isolate yourself into your field and smaller fields, but not into a larger field. You see how it works. Very interesting, this all has to do, of course, with some of the things that we've talked about numerous times in the show, dealing with how to develop consciousness. Remember that when we're talking about developing a self in a field, it's just the collective consciousness in the field that develops the self. The self grows more as the collective consciousness. What is the consciousness? It's every time that the choices get more and more connected together in a way which is quantized. Then you, when you do that, your consciousness grows. If you enter into parts of your field or other fields that are not quantized, meaning that they, they do not necessarily connect together with things that are already connected, they randomly connect together with other things possibly, then you may disturb the consciousness in your field if at the least, you won't grow. It, it, it may not disturb your consciousness, but it will, it will not provide growth to the consciousness, which eventually becomes our self in our field. I keep bringing it into the self so we can relate to it. Because if I keep talking in terms of abstracts, it won't be so relatable, and we know a lot about ourselves because we don't recognize. When we recognize that we are who we are, and what others are who they are, we recognize ourselves. Yeah, we're running out of our time for this segment now. So I want to, uh, hopefully, this this was a very, very fast, I know, explanation of quantum fields, but we're going to get into a lot more specifics and more interesting, maybe, for some people, ideas, taking this eventually all the way to God, and to answer some interesting questions along the way. So we will be back in about uh, two and a half minutes, give or take, from right now. Hi, everyone. Since childhood, I've had questions about my life and life in general that I couldn't find adequate answers to. Questions like, why am I here? Why are others here? Does the universe have a purpose? And how does that relate to my life? More recently, I've been wondering what happens when we die, especially the reasons why. I'm more of a doubter than a believer in many things, and answers that include the whys allow me to think and figure out the truth for myself. I've been reading a book, Life's Hidden Meaning, 
This one book contains more answers, including the whys, than all other sources I've read or heard. It's amazing to me that every one of my questions has been thoroughly answered. More importantly, I have found that all of these answers so far have checked out to be true. I hope this message helps some of you in your quest for better understanding. The name of this wonderful book is, again, Life's Hidden Meaning by metaphysician Niles McFlower. Some bookstores sell it. I got my copy directly from the publisher at agelesswisdom.com. Life's Hidden Meaning may enlighten your mind and bring some peace and joy to your heart. Hun, what book are you reading? It's a novel, kind of, about romance, love, and spiritual life in general. Kind of a novel? What do you mean? Well, it's based on some real-life experiences and even real characters. Some of their experiences are fascinating and remarkable. I can't put this book down. How come the title is Afterlife Love? That's part of the fascination. This book describes the afterlife in intricate detail and even explains why things are the way they're explained. But how can anyone write about or know that? Some of the characters travel out of body to some places that people who've already died also go to. I'm finding it completely believable because it all makes sense and fits into a bigger picture for me. Hun, what happens to these people? You can read it for yourself when I'm done if you want. Better yet, I'll get my own copy so we can discuss it while we read. Let me see. I'll write down the title. It's Afterlife Love by Niles McFlower. M-A-C-F-L-O-U-E-R. Afterlife Love is available in some bookstores and from the publisher at agelesswisdom.com or 480-966-3132. That's 480-966-3132. We're back. This is Why Life Is... I'm Niles McFlower. Tonight we're talking about basics of quantum field theory. Now, if that doesn't check out, okay, but it's not so hard. It's not so hard. We're beginning to see that this is really the way life actually is. It's different than what we experience in the macro world around us. It seems confused by a lot of other fields that we don't see interacting with us and that we sometimes fail to interact with ourselves, creating forces in our field. And it's um, it's a bit of uh, a mystery because it's right there. We should be able to figure it out, but for eons, uh, humans have not really understood that they live in a quantum field and that, that the whole universe is created on this, this basis, but it has elements to it that are non-quantized, which causes a thing called uncertainty, which is important, by the way. Let's talk about that. As I described it during the first 40 minutes or so of the show, it may seem as though that quantum uh, fields are better off without non-quantized parts. You know, get rid of them. Throw them out. And that's not true in reality. You want a certain element of uncertainty because uncertainty allows the system itself to have increased levels of freedom and a reduction in monotony and loss of meaning. It's kind of like a safety valve. 
it's needed because there's a lack of perfection in consciousness in almost all fields. And because the consciousness within a quantum field lacks uh, perfection, it has parts of it that reduces consciousness of itself at times, and it causes ourselves, as an example, to sometimes become damaged and even non-operative. We know that. We see people like that sometimes. We do things to ourselves to cause that. Because of that, it's better to have a field that is forgiving of the lack of consciousness caused by the self, caused by the field itself. And what allows the forgiveness is the fact that some of the field is non-quantized, that there's an uncertainty about almost anything that helps to, at times, lead to an outcome that was not expected and that allows our negative outcomes, creations, the things we negatively create, the things we create away from God that are destructive to our own fields and that of others, to become less impactful, less forceful, because there's mitigating factors in the non-quantized parts of our fields that lessen the effects of the wrong or consciousness lowering, connective lowering elements that we choose to make ourselves in our fields. What do you think about that? So we don't want to get rid of the question of, we'll say, certainty. We, we want to have uncertainty and at a certain level so that it doesn't interfere with normal consciousness, with good consciousness, consciousness that is growing. It doesn't interfere with that very much, minor amount of interference, but it has a more major effect, more major interference on darkness, evil, uh, parts of us that just you know, are somewhat destructive, somewhat uh, in the wrong direction of creation of our consciousness. And we do a lot of that. Every time you take and buy on alcohol or any kind of drug, every time you do something that is lessening of your consciousness, you're doing something that you can be grateful for. There will be a greater level of interference by the non-quantized field. Why is that true? Okay, now we get into some things. Without using math, I've got to be real, uh, real careful in describing this. Let's say that you decide to have a real screw-up day, and you're going to go tie one on and have a lot of drinks. You're going to go ahead and uh, not eat properly. You're going to uh, not follow through on a lot of commitments you made with other people. You're going to uh, you're going to show a lack of connectivity to anybody else and be what we call selfish, and you're going to also maybe be destructive to the senses that operate in your three bodies, the mental, astral, and your physical. And you're going to use all these things, and you're going to you're going to end up maybe in eight hours of time doing that with a much lower level of consciousness than you started. All right, that's your choice. You can do it. Some people do that almost every day, and they don't grow most in consciousness, and they're lucky if they even stay where they were before. 
what happens? Why do the non-quantum field connections start having a greater effect on us when we do that? Why why does it always seem to be that that's true, by the way, but but why does it happen in terms of quantum field? Well, the non-quantum quantum, uh, parts of the field uh, are in relationship to the quantum field itself, able to connect together better when the quantum field itself is shrinking by a reduction in consciousness or connectivity between the parts in ways that relate together that would lead to the field growing in consciousness. So as the field loses its potential, its probability, its potential to grow in consciousness, the non-quantum field parts start joining together and you have much more uncertainty. Uncertainty starts happening at a more and more rapid rate. Well, what does uncertainty do? It causes forces to develop in the field. The forces are caused by the fact that all of the interactions of the quantum field become more difficult to form together when bits and pieces of the field are constantly being eaten up by by connections that are meaningless or that are not related, not related to the conscious parts of the field. That causes forces to develop within the field itself. So people's lives become more forceful as their consciousness drops, even if their consciousness attempts to avoid forceful situations. As a matter of fact, there's no way to stop this effect. If you if you say, okay, I'm going to be really selfish, <laughs> and I'll just take everything I care from anybody else, but I'll be really careful. I don't ever get caught, and I don't, nobody ever knows about it, and I'm going to keep doing this thing and that thing. But unfortunately, you know what happens? All of the non-quantum parts of your field, of that field, grow, and they start producing all of these unbelievable, unbelievable, really, because you would say, well, it's not likely that's going to happen, and boom, it happens. All the things that are forceful start happening almost in unison, and you start looking around, oh, this is terrible. Who's who's watching me and doing this to me? And you know who's doing it to you is you in your field. But who created the field in the first place? Who came up with this wonderful idea that the non-quantum parts of the field are going to do this to the quantum parts? Well, I call it God because it's so well thought out. It's how I discovered God. Now, I know a lot of people say, well, I discovered God on the beach one day, but you discovered it with a formula dealing with some kind of quantum field theory. That's crazy. Well, you can see God in a lot of different ways. To me, this was one of the ways I found God in the late 70s. <laughs> and to me, it was, a, uh, it, was a kind of, it was experiences. I had a lot of different experiences, and then I tried to take all these experiences. Some of them were other dimensional, so it was easier. In other dimensions, it's easier to see the effects of these uh, quantum fields. And I recognized that there were parts of people's uh, field of self that were non-self, and the non-self parts were uh, able to form together easier when the self part 
by probability was reducing because of the choices the person was making and the decreasing of relationships and love, love of themselves and others, love of everything, love of God, uh, caused the, uh, the non-quantum parts to grow and create a lot of forces in the field of the person. Not punishment. Not God saying, oh, okay, I'll put it fix you. You want to do that? Well, here it comes, buddy. No, it's part of the system. The system is designed that way. You can see it easier in other dimensions, higher dimensions of time and space than where we are. But it's still happening here. It's just that it's not very visible to us. We're in a luge, and our senses don't work well enough to, to pick it up and identify it for us. Because our, our awareness sometimes is too low to pick up what what the lowering in our consciousness is doing, and it's you know, we we don't we don't perceive it ourselves. Others might, but so the the weird thing about it is it isn't. You could say that God created the system, but on an individual basis, it's us doing it to ourselves. <laughs> um, all right, so. This is a very important part of quantum field theory. It is not fully developed yet in the rest of the science of it uh, outside of what I explain. So what I'm telling you is a little still, it may be a few years ahead of where where the field is, where this field of physics has gotten to at the present time. But it's moving in that direction. So I'm kind of like, we're, I'm on the uh, developmental front of it. Myself. And I was many years ago. <laughs> Uh, you know, 30, uh, closer to actually about 35 years ago. So at that time, I, I, I was just figuring that. And so when we look at this thing, we, now we start putting it together, this has a lot more explanation, a better explanation, than God's going to get you. <laughs> It'll fix it. It'll fix it. Or whatever you want to put it. You know? No. That's... Then you see, that's not the truth. Uh, God's not going to get you. You're going to get you. Your own field of creation creates the very forces from the non-quantumized parts of your own field that come to get you when your consciousness has the probability, not even has achieved it yet, just the probability starts the system of reduction. Even when you can Center, or will likely consider being selfish, you start putting this whole system into action. Beyond consideration, that's why I tell people motivation, which is the consideration uh, part of anything, motivation becomes as critical or more critical sometimes than action. If you have bad motives about only a few actions, that could be worse than a, uh, than a lot of actions or interactions, that have relatively moderately bad motivation. So really bad motivation has, has, has the greatest effect. Motives are important, and you can see how they affect the quantum field. People have asked me this for all ages. Why do my motives matter? It's what I do that counts. I wish it were so, but it isn't. Motive plays a critical role in what happens to us. Bad motive, wrong motive, selfish motive causes more forces than relatively unselfish motive, but just 
making bad mistakes usually due to inter, uh, to awareness that is not working very well, interactionally speaking. So your motive is is the is worse in terms of this force model that develops in our fields of expression. Now, I mean, these are like mind-blowing ideas for a lot of people. And I've said this before. I haven't explained the science of it because um, that's what tonight's show is about and because even tonight's show is not going into the intricacies, the real, real deep ways of looking at this because it's the basics. And believe me, you'll find the basics enough to test your uh, thinking capacity tonight. Uh, we don't want to go into the intricacies. You can get really deep. Really, really, because you can start getting into some elements of, well, what happens if you have two people decide on this together versus ten people that don't? And de- I mean, it gets really complicated if you're dealing with this in a larger perspective, which we are not. We're keeping it simple tonight. All right. So, uh, and then you can get into fields of nations and fields of uh, all kinds of different kinds of groups of people and all kinds of different kinds of life lives and group souls and divonic beings and I mean it builds on and on. I mean there's this whole system has different fields of consciousness, some of them working more together, some working against each other, producing some very, very unusual, strange and after a while, if you used all of those effects together in some kind of super, super, super computer, you could almost predict the future for a way, a way out of this. Wow. But we're not going to do that. All right. So, what else is there besides this question of these two basic elements of quantum fields? Well, quantum fields are self-generating. They, they grow by the connection of things, what happens if you have a field where nothing has the probability of connecting? Well, could happen. Obviously, could happen. But that becomes a non-field. Then you just have what is known as the potential for fields with non-no fields being activated within that whatever you're in. And it isn't a field because it doesn't it doesn't have any ability to connect itself. And those are those things are not relatable, at least within the way that they're being existing in, in their present way. That doesn't mean something can't eventually change them. And that's what fields do. Fields operate by not just being self contained. They continually borrow from other fields. You didn't know that. Uh, just because they take something from another field, it doesn't mean it, it doesn't exist in the first field. It uh, still has some element within the first field. But by taking from the other field, which is usually a larger field, by the way, and I'll get into why it's not usually a smaller field in a minute. When, when something goes to a bigger field and it needs to borrow something from it, it, it takes some of that field, and uses it within itself. Some of the potential of the 
parts that are taken from the bigger field leave with the borrower. But some of the potential, which is greater than the field's potential of the borrower, stays. And that part remains with the with the giver. Why does something go away? Is it like a net sum zero thing? No, it goes away because when if if the if it stayed in both fields identically, then the bigger field would continually contaminate the smaller field by the choices it made. And since it would be more conscious than the smaller field, it would be constantly going faster in its development mode and swallow up the smaller field. That can happen. And as a matter of fact, evil uses that kind of approach. There's whole galaxies that work kind of in that way. I don't want to get too deep into what I just said. But they, that's part of the physics. They, they, they do that. Uh, and I've never said that before, so that's getting as close as I can to saying something that I shouldn't say. And so when, so when you get into this idea, in most fields, in all fields that aren't evil, what, they, what, what happens is they're conscious enough to uh, not, if they have a self in them, they're conscious enough, the larger field, to not want to interfere with the smaller field uh, because it recognizes that the growth of the smaller field benefits all fields. And so it chooses to do that. That's a good thing. Now, this isn't true when you get to very low fields in uh, less than human cell development. Sometimes when you get to the group soul development part, you have group souls where their cells do interact in ways that are hostile to the cells that's in the group soul field. And then you have greater cells than the group souls intervening. They're called angels, solar angels. And they intervene in using their field to buffer the difference between the two. But with human beings, it's so fascinating because we um, can borrow a whole bunch of stuff from the fields of, uh, let's say, our solar angel, our soul, uh, and even greater thinking human beings to some extent. And when this is done in a way that helps uh, life to grow, it, it is done in a way so that the greater field does not interfere with the lesser field. And the reason it's designed this way is God chose it to be. And God made it so that life grows when you do this, and life decreases in growth when you don't. That's a decision made by God in its huge field that we all exist in. And it's one of the basic laws. Even evil has to obey it. So the interesting thing about it is that you've got this amazing, uh, we'll say, God that has a, a very, very, very important first, we'll say, premise, which is that its field will not govern all lower fields, which is everything, uh, in terms of the ability to grow consciousness. And it won't impose its consciousness on us. That's a good thing, because if it did, we'd just be kind of like puppets. And consciousness would only grow as the, the puppeteer decided, and that wouldn't really be much, much of a life. But instead, God said, no, I'm not going to make it that way. I'm going to make it so that quantum field will exist in a way 
that prevents this sort of thing from happening. And how does it do that? Well, the way it does it is this. Once something is brought into a quantum field, the two quantum fields become connected by the magic thing I told you about. <laughs> Spooky thing is happening in a distance. And the larger field is connected to the smaller field, but only in a one-directional mode. The larger field can, can uh, allow the smaller field to continue to do its thing, but cannot enter the smaller field and force the smaller field to do anything, because if it does, the spookiness collapses, actually collapses, and creates an internal force in both fields. Both fields. The internal force is caused by the, quant- the quantum field being interfered with, which means that the non-quantum fields, again, start growing, but not just in the smaller field, but in the larger field for not obeying God's law. And the larger field pays the greater penalty if it were to do what I just said. So it almost never happens, but I'm just saying the only way it is ever used is through evil. And I don't want to get into that. But nonetheless, the way the system works, it is wonderful because the field that gets something can use it in ways that are creative and special without being interfered with by the larger field that it may have borrowed it from the beginning. Now, the larger field can use any part of what was borrowed from it that isn't being solely created in the smaller field as much as it wants. It just can't, won't and can't, uh, use it in exactly the same way as the smaller field in its creation, because if it does that, it would then contaminate the smaller field and be, be interfering with the creation of the smaller field. So our self, let's take this in terms of self and not use the field name so much. Our, our self, our little self, okay, uh, gets a, 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 a part of an idea from a bigger field, uh, maybe the field is coming from, let's say, our solar angel, who had uh, some concept that it, it lent to us. Well, when we start working with that concept in our smaller field and creating some new uh, thought from it, the solar angel gives up that thinking. It doesn't use that thought anymore. Now, for those of you who are familiar with angels wisdom, you're going to say, yeah, that's exactly what you taught us, uh, you know, years ago, either last year. That's right. And, but now you're beginning to see why, because it doesn't want to interfere. It doesn't want to take our creation away from us, and we're allowed to then create. If it were to interfere, it would have severe forces imposed upon it within its own field. And so we, unfortunately... It would create a debacle of uh, forces, which it doesn't do because it's more conscious than we are, and it would want to do that. Now, evil finds this very interesting and uses it for its own purposes, but be aware that uh, the laws still apply. It's just that you can you can get around the law by ignoring part of the time-space issues and uh, cheating for a while, um, but uh, you can't do it forever. 
So you can only do it for a while. And you can do it because there's a thing called power in force that allows you to borrow from the equations of this whole system of field theory to offset for a while uh, your senses, your bodies, etc. But in the long run, it, it fails you and you pay for it. So, I mean, that's evil. That's how evil looks at the whole situation. All right. So, it's really fascinating that we can borrow, and we do all the time from all kinds of greater fields around us, and that's the way it's supposed to be. The borrowing means that whatever we don't use eventually goes back to the original field. You can't keep something and not use it. It's use it or lose it when it comes to things you get from others' fields. You can't take it and say, well, I'm going to keep it for a lifetime or two. Is that okay? No. It will immediately go back on its own to the greater field. Because the greater field says, as long as you're creating, I won't bother you. Stop creating, bang, it goes back. And when it goes back, it creates a ripple or wave backlash effect that in our non-quantum field, part of our field, that hurts us. It causes the non-quantum field to suddenly grow, and more and more forces are developed. So every time you have the opportunity to create, and you choose to not do it, you punish yourself through creating forces in your non-quantized field. Wow. So the object here is, if you start creating, whatever you do, don't throw it away. Don't say, oh, well, okay, so what? I'm not going to do it. If you take from others with the quote-unquote purpose of creating supposedly for others, and you choose to then not do so, watch out for some very bad effects. We'll call it karma, because you're eventually the time and space will come together between the two uh, interactions, and the result will be a lot of forces. The forces will reduce your consciousness and cause pain and suffering. Okay, <laughs> enough of that. Very interesting. Don't want to do that, right? Well, people do this all the time. It's one of the worst parts of living in the physical world is that we get behind so much in our creations and uh, the results are pitiful because we uh, end up destroying ourselves. Uh, as a matter of fact, one could state that the, uh, the march to death, certainly the march to illness and then death, or accident and then death, is uh, through the process of lack of creation with more and more uh, non-quantized field development that leads to huge forces. And eventually also even a loss of opportunity because we lose the thing that, or things that we took from larger fields to create with, they're gone. They just disappear from us. How is that all possible just because of quantum field theory? <laughs> How does this whole thing rest on this this strange, strange series of words that almost seems meaningless to most people? Yet it is the foundation of existence. It's the way the universe was created and creates. It's the way the universe loves or in the universal sense of love, by 
directing uh, creations, and has always loved and always will. And it is the way that uh, interactions are possible by the joining together of fields under the model of not joining together non-quantized parts of fields and also allowing whatever is given from one field to the other to be allowed to be created within the field, the lower field of uh, creation. This is, this is like what monads do, if you think about it. Everybody says, well, what are the monads to do anyway? Well, they they, uh, they create a lot of things in their thought, and then we actually borrow pieces, little tiny pieces of these giant thoughts. And then we take them and we create with them, we being human beings ourselves. But um, they they grow by giving it to us and then in, in consciousness, but then they also grow in what they get back, eventually in the interactional mode. The interactional mode is them being able to see what we create with what they start with. It's a very, it's a very interesting thing. Eventually you become a mode yourself. Your field becomes the monad's field. You can grow into the field. All right, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the next step in this whole thing. How do you grow your fields into these larger things? What do you do? Okay. Well, eventually, you have to reverse the process. Remember, I just talked about for some time now how you can take from other fields. Okay, you can borrow from And it's not really taking because they're freely giving it receiving it, trying to create with it, trying to create more light. That's the ultimate thing. I didn't say that, but that's what you're trying to create is light. Okay, you're trying to create more light. That's the thought of God. If you try to create more darkness, that moves towards evil, and then you end up with a whole different system in this situation. But, oh, you're trying to create the, the light, which is fantastic. Okay. But in order to grow yourself into the larger field, let's say you want to become your soul. But you want to do it while you're physically here or asking your life. And you're going to do that by what? You've got to become part of the field of the soul. I mean, you're coming, you came from the field of the soul, but now you're in your own smaller field called the human. And then yourself is a little self. You've got to grow yourself into the field of the solar angel, which is the larger self, and the field of the soul, which is the senses of the soul which has to do with its mental concepts, because the soul senses are in the mental, higher mental world. And so you have to grow your field using the concepts of the soul, but not just using them. You can't just say, oh, can I borrow them for a week, please? No, you've got to take them and create something more with them than you started. As you create more with those things that you get from the soul's, field, you become part of the soul's field over time. You're growing yourself into the soul's field, and you're actually part of the soul's field by probabilistic standards, quantum standards, long before you actually are there. So you're becoming something before you're there being it, while you're doing it, while you're creating, and connecting, and relating. And that fits exactly the model that most people have experienced when they start spiritually disciplining themselves. They notice, some people notice this even when they're doing personal discipline, they notice that they start becoming the thing 
that they don't even understand more, they become, as they create more of those things that are not part of themselves in the first place. So they actually, the self grows even faster, outpaces in a sense, way looking at this, outpaces their sense of their lower self-awareness. In other words, they become more of the higher self before they're aware of being the higher self while they're a lower self, as an example of what I just explained. So fields start joining together when the smaller field creates itself into a part of the larger field, following increasing the light within its smaller field. And that light connects automatically, actually, with the light in the larger field because light itself is all part of God. So what you're really doing is you're creating yourself more into a part of God and since God is part of everything, then the fields start connecting to them. As that takes place, the unquantized, unquantized part of both fields reduces. So the uncertainty reduces in each field of expression or life or self as they join together through light. Now, there's something else to be recognized here. The uncertainty in the fields has has a lot to do with what is known as Planck's lack of Planck, constant, and is the reason, the very reason, that um, we have dimensionality and is the reason that there is separation of consciousness to begin with. It's all related to that. And also, the dimensionality is that as the constant grows, the um, the uncertainty of the fields themselves in some respects grows from the outside, but within the fields themselves, the uncertainty decreases. Hard to explain this in a way that makes much sense. Let me see if I can do it better. Okay. Uh Let's take the astral world. If you go to the astral world, while you're in the astral world, more things are possible than they are here in the physical world. That's a literal true statement. More things are possible. The physics changes, allowing more things to be created more easily with, with less forces. However, the, the interaction between beings within the astral world uh, has with it two sides. The first is those beings that go there that choose to be selfish become darker faster and and experience the astral world as a place with much greater uncertainty to what is going to take place from their lack of creativity or wrong creations, like dark creations, and their destructive nature to self or consciousness. So that is going to have, their uncertainties will go up. Wow, for those who are choosing internally between themselves and others, so their fields are joining together, by the way, uh, those folks are becoming less uncertain their lives are becoming less uncertain, 
and the certainty of their continued development and, and we'll say, existence increases. So the folks that are on the outside of this equation, so to speak, are going against God, are more affected by the uncertainty of events, etc., and if and their fields shrink, their connectivity to all other peoples and things fields reduce. And they experience a lack of meaning in life and a reduction in consciousness and uh, uh, life itself. Whereas the people who are connecting their fields together, we would call it universal kind of love, and who are creating more light, much more light, the results are that the uncertainty reduces, reduces because the unquantum field moves away from them, moves away from them, and is excluded from their fields more. And the quantum field that is uh, part of their joining together grows and becomes more part of each other's field. The reverse is done with those who are dark and selfish. So, in the astral world, the effects of quantum field become much more obvious. You can noticeably see them, experience them, and maybe even discover the field, the quantum field theory itself. And so, you you actually have a better chance of it there because there is uh, there's more potential for it because the movement itself is much more definable and understandable, and all kinds of other parts of the, the, the fields become relevant. Here, a field doesn't include the the speed and direction of movement of energy, whereas in uh, the astral world, it does. It's another dimension to the time space. So people have have a different uh, experience by this growth in the quantum constant. For some, with more light, because light is part of the equation of the quantum constant, um, the speed of light, and, and with more light, you end up with a different effect from growing the constant than with less light. It has a totally opposite effect on the fields of the people that are involved, or beings, we'll say, beings and life forms and so Very interesting. Very, very interesting stuff. All right. So, I uh, kind of went out on the side there, but that isn't really the side, because it's part of this whole understanding of how the system works. Now, let's go, let's go into another element. Let's look at this from a practical side of our life on a daily basis. I, I mean, there's a lot more to explain about quantum field theory, but we don't have time tonight to to get into what I would consider to be probably a, a year class on it. You know, trying to figure out all of the all of the elements of this very, very interesting interesting tapestry of how the universe works. But in terms of a practical side, most people. Uh, ignore the reality of what quantum physics says. They just ignore it. They don't live their life as part of a, a field that is 
uh, real. And so they ignore the reality of the fields they're in, interacting with and ignore that they are in a quantum field that we can call their self. Okay. So that's a huge problem because just the fact that you ignore the field does not mean the field is not is ignoring you. <laughs> it isn't. As I said earlier, forces develop in the field from our own thought, not just our interaction, just how we think. And then when we take interaction on it, it multiplies the effect of the thought even more so because the interactions leads to this uh, change in the relationship of different parts of our own field and sometimes with parts of other people's fields altogether. As we interact with other people's fields, it has tremendous effects on the non-quantized parts of our field together. So it's a big deal what we do. So as a practical mind, it would be great to teach our children without getting into you know, the word quantum or any stuff. I don't think children would appreciate it from that standpoint, but to tell kids, look, this is the way the universe works. If you do good things, if you think good thoughts, and if you create, create is very important with everything that you already have experience with and go and get some new ones from other people and other things. And you create things that are enlightening. You have to define that. Define what is enlightening so they understand light is this and darkness is that and that sort of thing. If you do do this, if you create things that are enlightening, your life will be less forceful and you will be able to uh, live a more meaningful existence and grow yourself. Make sense? Are there exceptions to this rule? Well, yes. If you happen to be one of the few people, some consider them the lucky ones, I guess, but I'm not so sure, uh, that decides that you are going to try to disturb the field of darkness around some people and around the planet in general. And then that field of darkness will interfere or maybe even try to destroy you and your field. And you might say, why is that the case? I thought that if you were thinking in light, it should protect you from everything. No, it only protects you. It only protects you from the interactions with other fields of light. It doesn't protect you from darkness. As a matter of fact, it doesn't protect you at all from evil. Evil has a system, which I'm not going to explain in detail, that allows it to directly interfere into people's fields when they are fighting it, so to speak. When they're trying to get other people to see it, at least, or explain things about it. It doesn't like that very much. As a matter of fact, it hates it. And it has a way of making sure that the uncertainty principle that is part of your field, there's still some of it, there's still some non-quantized parts of the field, even when you're creating a lot of light and fighting evil, you're still going to have some parts of that. It looks for and hunts out those parts that are non-quantized, and it grows them enormously by putting its energy 
to say it is you're going to have more misfortune, bad luck, bad things come after you if you are fighting against evil. Uh, that doesn't mean you shouldn't fight against evil. You just need to understand that. And it's also important maybe to teach our children as they get older that that could happen. Kids are sensitive to it. And uh, unfortunately, it can lead to atheism and uh, a rejection of God if you don't understand what I'm explaining about this because you think God's doing it. Well, it must be the good guy's doing it to me. God must not like me very much. And it's not. It's this evil thing that's doing it. It can actually um, modify through power and force what a lot of people call karma because the 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 part of us, our field that is uncertain, is also, in some respects, our karma, negative karma. And it's that, that negative, forceful karma, it isn't reached necessarily our conscious field yet, so we may not be conscious or aware of it. But, and I should say aware or conscious, because usually aware first. Either way, look at it, it's not good. So we don't, not normally. You see, what, what happens is they, they actually, if they're willing to invest in it, will take some of their power. They don't have infinite power. They have a finite amount of power. They say, well, I'll use 10% of my power, and it's no good Nick Niles was on the air, and I'll screw around with his karma. And the karma of all the people he's in the field with together. And there might be more than just myself in that field. And the, then that it's possible, it's actually possible to take the uncertain aspects and make them grow. Wow, is that not strange? So, well, is there a way around that? Yes, there is. You don't want to you don't want to go against the uncertain aspects directly because that actually doesn't work. But the best thing to do is to increase the consciousness you feel because remember that shrinks the element of the uncertainty. No matter how much the evil is pouring in power to grow it, if your consciousness is growing equally as fast, it ain't going to do nothing. As a matter of fact, you'll win that contest. Consciousness trumps the uncertainty. And it forces it to be reduced. Remember, they're kind of equal and opposite almost. They're not exactly that. But, and it depends how conscious the field is to begin with. If the field isn't large enough in consciousness, evil has a heyday, but it doesn't fear those folks so much, and it doesn't put much power into their their structure. But in the higher conscious fields, it has to make a greater investment, uh, take a greater risk, but it gets a bigger payoff if it can decrease the consciousness of those folks by increasing the uncertainty in the non-quantized field part of their existence. Let's see. So there's this whole battle going on, you could almost say, a power versus consciousness. And eventually, the dark side runs out of power. <laughs> because it has to use a lot of its power just to create, keep creating its own senses, which are always being reduced, and to maintain or at least hold its consciousness within a realm so its own field doesn't become completely overrun by uh, a non-quantized. Element and, and have to be completely uncertain about everything they do. They like to be very certain, and they do it by using huge amounts of power that they steal from others. 
But it is a wasteful method, and it is not efficient at all. So it takes a huge amount of power to compensate for the lack of consciousness and the amount that the field tends to move towards the entropy of uncertainty. Okay, wow, that's kind of interesting. Getting back to kids now. If we want our children to grow up better, we need to prepare them for uncertainty and how to deal with it in ways that are practical. The most practical element of, of an uncertainty that comes to fruition is to look at it as further opportunity for more creation and improved consciousness. If, if the child is reared with that formula, uncertainty will keep reducing throughout her his life, and they won't have a big disaster waiting for them as they grow older. They will find it, in some ways, gratifying that they've got a grip on this whole thing. Now, I'm saying this about children, but of course it also applies to all of us, doesn't it? I mean, we all can learn from this model, right? I'm just saying it would be nice to bring up our kids like this so that they don't go through the suffering that a lot of us as adults have already had. It really reduces suffering to have that approach, to use that kind of thought process when faced with this almost inevitable part of life. I'm not saying everybody's going to be attacked by evil. I hope not. But you're going to end up with uh, the uh, surprises, I'll call them, of those parts of our field which are non quantized and that we don't have really control over that come about because we're not conscious enough to understand everything that's going to happen and our planning is not good enough and so we can't really see the future well. So instead these um, things happen which are uncertain and uh, come out as um, sudden uh, surprises that may be putting forces against us. But again, the way to look at it is, hey, I'll become more creative and conscious, and that reverses this whole phenomenon, and it will gradually go away. It's good to try this as an, as a, an experiment in your life. My suggestion, as proof of this show tonight, is to use this particular model, the one I just gave you, not just to teach your kids, although I really wish you would, but also on yourself and your friends, if you can teach them some of it, or you can have them listen to the show. It's fine. Just say, hey, go to the site, turn it in, listen to this guy talk. Um, but use this model because it's a way of proving quantum field theory. <laughs> you will see that this actually works, and you can change the forces in your life by just becoming more creative and conscious. And it changes the relationship between the two parts of the field, and you're suddenly off to the races doing a great job in enlightening yourself, you see, or increasing it. That's the whole bottom line, right? You want to get the light in and get the darkness out, and that's what this does. Now, what about the relationship of light in general to the system? The light is the thought of God. That's the simplest way to define it. Uh, the speed of light uh, is the 
sub-beings that represent God in each dimensional part of time space. There are seven of them. I call them the Ray Lords. But you can call them anything you want. You don't even need to have a name for them. Uh, some people prefer Ray Lord because they're familiar with Ages Wisdom. Other people think that's the goofiest thing they ever heard. And they think it's stupid. It could be anything you want because it, I don't care about anything. I care about the concept. There are parts of the universe that are helping parts, that are sub-beings, literally sub-beings of God. And there are the controlling aspect of the light, which is the thought of a whole dimension of time space. And it's for the whole universe, and then there's sub-beings for planets, and, you know, and it gets complicated, but just think of it, it doesn't matter. There's seven of them, because there's seven different dimensions, whole dimensions of time space. And those seven dimensions are less and less complicated and more and more lower in the speed of thought, which is the speed of light, uh, as you move through, down, through the dimensions in time space. Some of them are divided up, and so it confuses physicists. They think now there's ten dimensions, because they get, especially here in the physical world, we think there's three dimensions here, but our three is really one. It's only one speed of light, so it's only one dimension. And and so the, the, the three dimensions, height, width, and depth, are sub-parts, sub-parts to what we call the full dimensionality, the single dimension of time-space. And the single dimension of time-space here is the ability to perfectly coordinate, coordinate yourself in relationship to anything and everything else, that you have perfect interactions with them, isn't that wonderful, without any forces between them. Okay, well, that makes sense. That's completely consistent with everything I've explained in tonight's show so far, right? So it makes sense. But we need to look at that that, that is the lowest dimension of, of time space, the lowest dimension of speed of light, the lowest dimension of our Creator's creation. This dimension, the lowest dimension of God's creation. And we tend to think that this is all. Not everybody does. Some people think otherwise. But a lot of people think this is it. Oh, there's only one dimension. Most scientists, physicists, think this is the only dimension. Not all, by any stretch. There's some that are in the string theory. They think that. Uh, most of the quantum field theorists these days think there is a multidimensional universe. Not a multiverse, but a multidimensional universe. And so they, they've come to that conclusion through everything I've talked about tonight and a bunch more. And that's because quantum field theory is a more revealing aspect to the way God exists in this universe. Whereas the other parts of physics don't reveal much of God because the people who thought of them tend to be atheists and reject, rejectors of God in this time in history. There'll be another time when scientists won't be like that. And there were times earlier when scientists weren't like that. But they are today. Uh, it has to do with the narrowness of egotism. In fact, a lot of people are very egotistical. So you got this kind of thing going on. I mean, you know, they, they, can't, they couldn't see truth if it was knocking out of the door. So, so they're caught in your illusions. And they, and they think that this, the way they think is the only way to think. But that's, that's just a... That's a a niche in time space that 
that our fields have developed themselves this way because our race of humans have developed themselves to not be fully unified in our mental bodies, and we're living more and more mentally. Even though we're physically alive, we're living more and more mentally in the physical dimension. And as we use that body to higher and higher levels, which we're meant to do, uh, the body itself is weak because it's egotistical and it's set, egotism separates the senses instead of joining them together. So instead of uh, instead of understanding things from a higher conceptual understanding, we use either low concepts or no concepts, and a lot of uh, a lot of confused thought forms, sometimes controlled by our desires from our animal body. Well, that's not too good. It also causes our field in each body to be distorted. Because each body actually has its own field, although they are connected together as a being. Our personality does the connecting, which is a good thing for us. Our soul started the process, but the personality has pretty much free reign because it has its own field called the mental unit that it works from in the mental body, the lower part of it, the higher part of the lower mental body. And that's where the personality functions with the self, and it has the brain there, and it does its own thing. So it, it, our perspective is very mental these days, particularly, because the personality has grown in strength, as has our mental processing. And our mental senses are way more effective, but they're not uniform. And so we have a huge amount of illusion. And just within the mental field of of our existence, which is where our personality is. There's a huge amount of force. As a matter of fact, there's so much force in the mental field of human beings on Earth that the entire mental world of Earth is split. It's split between the personality and where the soul exists in the higher mental world. Unbelievable. It has actually split the dimension of God's thought, God's faith, into two parts. Because our field, the bodies of us, are so forceful, unbelievably forceful. Now, what does that mean in terms of our higher mental body? Well, the weird thing about this is our higher mental body is in a different field, except for the last, the very lowest part called the third pedal, I mean the lowest pedal of the third tier. But our, our higher mental body is in a different dimension than the very lowest part of the higher mind and the rest of our lower mind. Yes, they're, they're not in the same dimensional space and they are not in the same field. By definition, when you separate a dimension, the field of a body becomes separated as well if the senses are split and the person's fields of operation become dual, or different in two different ways. The same thing has happened in our etheric and physical body. Uh, we, we were unable, the first race that was supposed to do that, was called the Lemurian race, uh, they, they were supposed to unify the senses of uh, form and uh, bring them together, and that would have created a unification in our physical senses, and we never got that done. They did unify our spiritual senses to some level with the astral spiritual senses, 
that the crown and heart chakra of a physical body somewhat got unified with it, uh, to the level that they could do that at their development with the level of the, uh, of the astral phase. Uh, That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. And it allows some better, we'll call it, connection between those two fields. But here's the odd thing about human beings. We are composed of, of basically, if you look at it, five distinct fields. Why do I say five? Okay, let's go through them so we can understand them, because I don't want to lose me on this. I'm going to give myself a little square here. That's so I can keep talking, and you can hear me out there. Okay. So, here's how it works. If you start from the higher mental body, at least most of the higher mental body, you end up with one field. That's the field that includes and connects mostly with our soul and our solar angel. That's wonderful. Uh, Now, the lower mental body, with a little piece of the higher mental body, is another field. And it only connects with the solar angel through a very slight connection um, uh, with uh, a vortex that connects between the two fields and breaks through uh, the two fields and connects them together. It's a, vort- a vortex means energy moves mostly in uh, one direction. It allows movement in the other direction only when we contribute to the other field. That's why the vortex has a stronger dimensional factor in one direction than two, because in order to keep it equal, the vortex are equal, the two fields will have to be treated almost identically and equal, uh, equal giving to both. Now, that isn't how it works right now. The soul, and to some much lesser extent, our, I mean, the solar angel to a much lesser extent, our soul, are pretty much in a one-way giving thing. For most people, not everybody, but for most people, this is the true statement. There's still a small amount given back to the soul and the solar angel, which is good because it builds light between them and builds light, connects all of the bodies together better, but especially the two parts of the middle body. But it's still, for most people, it's one directional, and it's, so it goes mostly from the top to down. From the, in the higher field, then, the more conscious field is the soul and solar angels field of thought and of quantum field. And that has much, much less uncertainty than the lower field, which is controlled by the personality to a large extent and the lower self. And that field tends to have greater amounts of non-quantum field development, which causes, of course, forces to be developed, and less consciousness, much less consciousness than the higher part. So you've got those two fields as the mental fields will help. Then you've got the astral field. Now, here's the strange thing. Uh, the Atlanteans were able to unify uh, the five lower senses of the astral body. They didn't get the two higher spiritual senses that are somewhat unified with the two sp- senses of the spirit body, but at least they got the five lower ones together, which we call empathy, and they got that one going. It's not always working for some people, but at least in general people are born somewhat empathic these days. And that's good. So we have pretty much a semi-unified field, one field, though, in the astral body. That's good, because a single field is better than two. And it allows a more uh, a, a 
vaccinations work pretty good. And our astral senses actually work okay when they're empathic. It's better to make them super empathic if you can get the two spiritual senses, the heart and crown chakra, to join with the five lower mundane senses. But, you know, uh, people do that sometimes, and a lot of times they don't. When they do do it, the field becomes more quantized, and uh, so it it is controlled by the probability of things to a fairly high level. And then when, unfortunately, people are astrally selfish and they split their astral senses, then you end up with that particular field becoming more controlled by the non-quantized elements of the field, and you have much greater levels of uncertainty and a much higher level of forces. Much higher level of forces. So creation becomes more difficult in an uncertain field, and people's lives become more problematic. Of course. Okay. So then we get to the last part of this equation, which is the two lower bodies fields. And those two lower bodies fields are actually, um, interestingly, uh, still segregated to some extent. Most people think, well, I'm just one person, I don't know. Any. But we, the electromagnetic part of us, which is sometimes referred to as the etheric part, is the causative parts of our physical nature. And that's where our senses really are located. The organs and other things that we think are our senses are really the physical manifestations, but they're not they're not the sense itself. The sense itself is coming from energy from one place to another. The organs don't receive near equal levels of what we consider to be sensitive awareness of the energy. They receive some energy, but it isn't it isn't the part that we convert into true awareness. Okay, so let me give you an example I just said. Uh, you look at something. Light enters your eye. Now, does the light really do anything? Not not the physical light. The physical light gives you some, like, you can see, uh, see things somewhat, like light and darkness. But you don't have critical acuity until you're looking at it from the etheric side. Because in the etheric side, if it turns into electromagnetic energy, which is converted into energy that moves down the optic nerve, goes to various parts of the occipital lobe and other places in the brain, uh, affects the muscles uh, in the eye and uh, also in the iris to reduce or increase light. It does a bunch of things, and all this is converted back and forth with electromagnetic energy, which has nothing to do with the actual recording of light or darkness. You see what's happening. Okay, why is the integration lacking? Well, it's because those senses were never brought together by the Lemurians. And when you don't bring them together, they're slowed, hugely slowed, and a lot of mistakes are made. A lot of inaccuracy in the awareness of each sense is lost because they're meant to work together and they're working separately. And so we have to try to integrate them in some fashion, and we are never very successful at that. We get huge inaccuracy. That's why our awareness is so faulty. It's called illusion, lack of light in the senses. And so that's what's going on there. And also in terms of the field, the field is distorted. The field 
awareness is cut down and you get bad awareness, you get bad thinking. Because the personality has to take the information from the senses and convert it into knowledge, which eventually becomes part of our thought process. And that all gets messed up. When it gets messed up, the field becomes reduced in terms of consciousness because you can't, in the creation of consciousness, are reduced because you can't, can't use the information in ways that is, that is useful. You, your knowledge is faulty. And then the field of quantum field reduces. The non-quantized field increases. The probability of doing anything that is meaningful goes down. Life, life expectancy goes down. Life itself, even in life, goes down. And the uncertainty of everything increases. It, uh, it tremendously increases. Now you can say, well, why isn't the certainty of force and death something that increases? Well, there is that. There is that, but that certainty, unfortunately, is almost never realized by the person because they because the very element of their thought is, is disrupted, so they are almost never adequately or, certain, or, or, or with certainty aware of their destruction that they're facing and the imminent death that they may be bringing upon themselves. It usually comes as a complete surprise. Same thing with illness and everything else, and accidents. So the, the whole idea of this is, you could, unless you want to say, well, you could approximate this, then you could say, if, even if a person has low consciousness, if they know enough of this theory, they can say, well, I'm certainly going to have a miserable life. Okay, that's a certainty of some sort, but it's due to uncertainty that that's going to be true because you're becoming more and more lacking in the ability to develop consciousness and to develop thought and creation. Everything is going away. You're becoming less. If you're becoming less, the certainty of becoming less may be certain to some people who aren't you. But to you, since you're becoming less, you aren't certain of anything. Because you're losing you. So in the lack of having a self, you aren't going to know that you're dying. Or that your self is going away. Or that you're lost and losing sense. You just don't know it. And that is true. We can see that in people who have this happen. People with with dementia, as they develop the dementia, what happens? They lose the ability to know they're developing dementia at a certain point. Up to that point, they may know they're developing dementia, but they don't recognize usually levels, etc., because most of that is hidden from them by the dementia itself. You see how I'm saying this? All that's really part of quantum field theory. It all works together in a, a kind of a hand and glove. You know, this this thing causes that, to, and this has has its effect, etc. Yep, that's how it works. Okay, so getting back to some more practical sides of the situation, since it's very difficult to read yourself when things are going away, it's always better to build on the positive than to try to exclude the negative. A lot of people say, "Well, I'm trying to get better." So I'm going to try not to do anything wrong. No bad thing doesn't work in quantum field theory. Uh, if you followed everything I've just explained, especially up to this point in the show, you can see that that model will not work 
and it doesn't work in reality. Try it, you'll find out. <laughs> I guess you haven't already figured out. The only way I know to make this work is from the positive side of the situation. You've got to grow creativity and consciousness, enlighten yourself, rather than try to get rid of the negative. Getting rid of the negatives is like fighting shadows and ghosts. They're, they may be there, and I grant it that some people really think they get somewhere when they fight one or two or ten of them, but uh, in reality, if you look at the long-term results, it's usually always valuable. I mean that, really. It's, I, I say that myself, but I've seen it so many times in other people. So the, the answer to this, this really important question, well, it's kind of late in the show, it may be the most important part, is that you want you want to truly, truly work on the development of the positive parts of the field. Not pay attention to those random, non-quantized parts that are truly uncertainties. That you, you, because you, you have no, you have no way of really identifying or understanding them, other than that you know where they're coming from. Because if you if you've heard tonight's show and understand it, but you, you can't do anything about them. They're, they're trying trying to change them is like really hunting ghosts. Better to say, okay, I know you're there. I know you're going to continue to be there because that's the way fields are. But I'm going to lessen you not by trying to go beat you out of me, not by trying to limit your existence, not by trying to prevent you from happening, not by just trying to get somebody else to figure out, I'll get a massive computer to figure out all the things that are going wrong and try to stop them before they happen. That won't work. It won't work because the computer <laughs> is in a subfield of us. It's kind of a weird thing. But I don't want to get into that. Okay, so what, because the computer is not truly its own field. So ultimately, you've got you to gotta get to the, to, to, to the positive side and build your creations. Look at how you can create more things that are enlightened. Light means that it helps others to do the same, to be more godly. You want to you want to become an expression of God's field. Jump way up there, as high as you can go. Start with your soul. You can use that as an example. Say, well, this is the soul field. There's the soul angel field. It's even bigger. The biggest field that you can reach into, and so I'm going to function as high as I can and do so in ways that produce light. Now, if you try to say, well, I'm going to be my monad today, and you find out it doesn't produce any light, you're not going to be your monad today. So don't, don't try to go to an area where you're not able to even have a clue. Souls are good. Souls are real good. It doesn't matter whether the soul angel of the soul or your soul soul of the soul, because they're kind of, they work together. But that's a really good place to be. Try to be a soul. Uh, I can't do it tonight completely, but I'll give you some ideas of what this means. The general concept is that souls are always trying to create light, not in themselves, but in others. Helping others to do that. Not that concerned about the light in Side your field, but how do I help others to create? Your service should be in service to others to help them become more conscious, help them become more creative. And in the process, 
you will become more creative. You will become more enlightened. That's the place you need to be at. Now, some people might say, but I, I'm not there. I just need to help grow my lower self. Well, if you're very young, that may be true, or if you've been very selfish. Unfortunately, uh, that's difficult if you've been very selfish because you may not get out of it. So you're still better trying to work from the soul side unless you're too young to be able to comprehend it at this point. That's why children may not be able to do it as well. But you can still help them. You can teach them this method. You can explain it to them so they understand it. But in your own life, if you're an adult, you need to look at it from the standpoint of being other-directed and living your life for others in service to them. Not to give to them those things they want, but to give them those things they need to be a soul themselves. Self-forgetfulness, in this case, is the better objective in building the quantum field so that you have a field in which the, you can make better planning. You can, the probability of that field increases every time you're planning for others, help, helping others and serving others. And it doesn't matter what that is. Like what I'm doing tonight, I'm teaching. I'm teaching what I consider to be a soul level for those who are listening. I'm not teaching for my sake. I'm teaching for all who are listening and watching. Well, that's good. Those are good things to do because what it does is it increases my consciousness. My field is growing into a larger field, right? And things are becoming less forceful at least in relationship to my consciousness and creations within my consciousness, too. I'm creating more light, and I am increasing the way, I'm connecting the way of creating more light by helping others to do that. That's the connection part. It's all of you out there. We're connecting, even though I don't know you necessarily. So you see how it works. This is the way to do it. Now, this is one way. I'm not suggesting everybody get a, get a radio show. I mean, it's one too fun. But the way to do it is to is to look at the areas that you can enter into other people's fields and give to them in ways in which they can start creating from something you've given to them without you then interfering in their creations and without you forcing your thought onto them. They're using some of what you think. They're using some of what you may have. Some of your interactions may come into play with them. But all of that is for the benefit of them first, which will benefit you later. Are you following me? Then your field grows, and the probability is it will keep growing in light because you're growing it in light to begin with. Remember, that's what a quantum field is. It's a probability you're moving in the same direction minus the effect of the part of the field that is non-quantized that is growing, or if it's growing, if it's shrinking, it still is not, uh, it is not a probability. It's going against the probability of effects, and it is the part that we cannot be much in control of outside of growing light in ourselves and others. But again, the way to grow light in yourself is by serving others. 
Others might not include just human beings. It may include all elements of life. Service to life is what God does, right? God created life. Part of God's first service to life is to make sure that life is free to create itself and co-create with God others. That's what it can do. And we want to get to, to that level of co-creating with life. Because when we join our field specifically with God, then our field grows at a maximum level. Now, a lot of people are going to say, but you just said you can't even grow like a monad, much less, you know, God. God like, do that. Well, this is the odd thing about our relationship with God. Because uh, God exists only at our level of awareness of God, as we develop our senses better, which is our awareness, and specifically the heart and crown chakra in the three bodies that are human bodies, uh, we become more aware of God, and that is the exact level that we can co-create the creation of light in others with God. We have to recognize we're doing this with God because we're not just using our own field when we do this. We're using God's field itself as well. And we're actually somewhat joining with God's field while we're helping the others to do the same because they're co-creating. That's what we're helping them to do. And so this whole thing becomes part of God's field without us having to consciously be God. We're co-creating with God, but we don't. We're not. We're not God. You know, people get confused by that. They say, "Well, you're blasphemous. You're talking about us becoming gods." You know, I believe in one God only, and I'm not it. That's true. I'm suggesting that we co-create with God, which means that part of God's field becomes part of our field, and vice versa. And the growth we create in spiritual service. Um, for and with others is the way that the system is supposed to work. And so we're, we're doing that if we do it, and it is what our soul does. Naturally, we don't, because we're in an illusion, and that's why our soul didn't just jump in and say, ah, I'm coming to Earth, physical Earth, and I'm going to be a human being. No, it took a little piece of itself, and it said, listen, we got to kind of separate right now. You're going to be on your own for your field now, separate from my field. But you can come back to me anytime and be part of my field, part of the field. And in God's case, we can only be part of God's field when we co-create with God, not when we create separate from God and not when we create more than God, because there is no such thing, although some people think so. And that when we create against God, because that's evil. All right? So, that's how those fields work. The field of God is something that is almost unimaginable. I'll cover it for really a few minutes of it only, because this is just uh, very hard. It's one of the hardest sections of the textbook I wrote, like it meaning. It's called Chapter 2. It's only 16 pages. You would think, well, 16 pages can't be that hard. Yeah, go read them. You see, when you explain God's field, you have to understand that God created itself not from a limited field, like we did, including ourselves. God created itself before this universe existed from an unlimited, infinite field, an infinite field. 
field of possibility. We're within a limited field of possibility. But if the field of possibilities becomes infinite, how do you take part of that field and make, make it you? You know, because it's infinite. Oh. Well, the secret to that is that you take the field, you are able to see the, eventually you have to be able to see the whole field to do this. You look at all the infinite possibilities in the field. This is why it really, it takes the God to do this, seriously. And you say to yourself, this part of the field will be my field. I'm taking this part of the field and making it my own. The rest of the field is infinite, so good luck. Go go to other gods and be with other fields. I take this part of this field to be mine. And as soon as God did that, it um, was able to be a director of its own field. Because now it's on infinite, so it can, it, it can make that field its own. And by the way, uh, an infinite field of possibilities is technically not a quantum field. Technically not. Uh, the only thing you can say about it is if a guy can come out of it at all, more than half of it has to be quantized. But but it could be just a very fractional amount. And there's a lot of argument about this right now in quantum field. And um, the remaining part could be non-quantized, which it probably is. So God takes part of this field and, 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 anyway, and it tries to what well, does, it creates um, at least over half of that field into a a quantized element field that is directed. It is directed by its own consciousness, its own thinking, its creation. And it says, Oh, it's me. This is this is who I am, but it created itself from an infinite field. And it, it did so there's no time factor. It just didn't. And now, it takes that field and it says, I'd like to take the part of the field I'm in. It's going to take part of its own field. And it creates a smaller field where uh, we are, are, the universe we exist in, the seven dimensions. And it creates the three parts of its mind here it does a whole bunch of other stuff. It creates all kinds of fields of life because it decides that life is going to be its growth in this field. Its purpose in doing this is to limit its field, which was the giant field that took out of the infinite field, and to create a field so much smaller that it could grow a significant amount in a smaller field by giving freedom to something new that it creates called life to grow itself in more, much more limited fields, and that those fields can borrow from God's field and use and go, go, back, go back to God and other life can use, and that's why we have so much recycling of life and all the stuff that we're familiar with in evolutionary terms, etc. And so this goes on, but at the same time, eventually we get to human beings. The first life that can be a weed of its creator. The first life. And once it's aware of its creator, it can co-create with its creator within its own field using some parts of God's field on a conscious level, on a conscious 
Human souls are conscious of God. But group souls have um, only a limited consciousness of God. The reason they only have a limited consciousness is because the life they're so involved with co-creating is very, very narrow. And life itself doesn't have consciousness of God. Only the soul has a limited consciousness, usually coming from involvement with a solar angel that helps it. And sometimes uh, through interactions with the spirit of Earth and certain other things, it gets a little complicated with, with um, group souls. But nonetheless, we are the first. That's it. The human beings are the first that directly connect our existence with our creator. We are aware of God, and the senses we use are heart and crown chakra in three different bodies with the total six senses that we use together. That gives us uh, a sense of our creator. And without those senses being fully conscious, we would not have that, or at least conscious. And the interesting thing about this is that Animals have those senses, some of the more advanced animals. They just don't have the consciousness in the centers to, to use them so they can be aware of God. So they use them to be conscious of other things, other parts of existence, and since things that are esoteric in some hidden in some respects, that includes things like love. They can sense love and be aware of it. They can sense uh, even some elements of creativeness in the most advanced of animals. But they can't understand the creation of God in others and godly kinds of love in others. So that's the thing. That's the thing. And so they don't worship God. They don't build churches for God. They don't give freely to life in general. They may give to life they're familiar with, that they like. Some way they love. But they don't love God. They don't love all life. You see, there's a big difference, a huge difference between us and uh, all of the life below us. And that's because the quantum fields are different. They're hugely different because in our quantum field, we can bring in God's field through the awareness and the consciousness in the awareness we have about God. Interesting. So God did this by a fully self-created existence. It created its own field. It created itself. And it created life, and eventually human life, so that it can grow itself without making it a puppet show. Life grows God through human life eventually and beyond by the life deciding itself and not by God forcing upon that life its creations or its connections and creations, which we call consciousness. And so it doesn't limit the field of life. It allows life to grow itself. The limitation of field would be dangerous and destructive even at the slightest amount of the ability of God to do it, so God doesn't do it. And even the beings that work as like sub-beings under God, like I talked about the rainbow, they don't do that either. As a matter of fact, souls don't do that. 
People ask me, well, why doesn't the soul come here and just ring these people out and make them do what, they, what the soul knows is best for them, and that's it. Because humans must have free will. Humans must be able to find God themselves. Humans must co-create with God themselves, not by some soul or soul or angel, either one, coming here and saying, okay, this is the way it is, and if you got you don't do it right, I'm going to hit you over to heaven with the solar hammer. It doesn't, it's that's against the principles, against the principles of how fields work. It's against the, against the principles of creation itself. And it's against what God wants. If it wanted that, it didn't even need to go through all the trouble it's been doing this stuff. It doesn't need to do it. And evil is only part of humanity. It doesn't exist in any other kingdom other than what we enforce on it and maybe some animal behaviors. And what we do in evil is we just reverse most of the stuff that I talked about tonight. When humans do this, they try to destroy their creator. How does that make any sense? Well, because they think if they get rid of God, they become more creative themselves. Boy, they need to listen to, to tonight's show. That is against the principles and uh, policies of quantum field theory, isn't it? They, they don't get it. Talk about not understanding the subject. They don't. Good thing, too. But they know enough to be able to destroy life sometimes, at least the forms of life, and to use power to over-control or to control reduction in consciousness. They can do that. They can also do things like, um, we'll say, create tremendous hardship that may convince people that God's no good. They love doing that. Oh, let's try to convince this group of people here that there is a God, but he's a no good God. Why would you want that God anyway? Look at all the bad things that are happening to you. It's most of those bad things are part of the system of them being victimized by their own non-quantum field uh, chaos that is leading to an uncertainty in everything that they do, which is expanded beyond the normal levels that we measure in this world, that they create within their own separate fields. But they don't understand that, and they think it's God's fault, and it's encouraged by, by evil. That's why. Evil also tries to convince some people that God doesn't exist. Because, after all, if God existed, then why would the world be like this? It, it shouldn't be this way. Of course, it's this way because people decide to become evil. It's kind of circular, isn't it? You know, evil convince every, convinces everybody that God doesn't exist because they do. And, of course, there is some truth to that. They are the ones that are convincing people of the of the lie. And they're good at it. In a scary way. Yeah. All right. So the whole principle of God is really based upon quantum fields and field theory in general, not just quantum fields. And God is using this principle from the, from the very smallest particles that we can determine, the smallest parts of this time space of this dimension up throughout the universe. There is a slight 
bit of change. When you get beyond the mental world, it's okay to have uh, the uncertainty principle grow and have it contained in ways that the field that it is within does not any longer create forces, but only creates more and more creation of opportunity. That is done because the consciousness of the being that exists there is high enough to prevent the uncertainty uh, from producing forces. It's little, and that's from the Buddhic plane up. That's a true statement. Now, I've heard people say, "Well, I read your book, and it says that forces can still even exist to some extent, uh, even in Nirvana or the." And I explained to them that those forces are used by the beings as a creative element, not because the beings themselves are being forced to do anything, nor are they being affected by evil. Right now, evil doesn't even exist beyond the sixth uh, subworld of the uh, middle world. It doesn't exist at least in any regular way. You get into any part of the lower mental world and into the lowest part of the higher mental world, but only on sporadic levels. It doesn't exist there in a regular way, like it's got a hole. You can use thought from there and it can do some things there, but it can't. It doesn't have any consistency. Now, if it can get any higher than one, then we'd be in big trouble and we're right on the edge of that. So it's not a, it's not a good thing, it's a bad thing, like where evil is, but it's not still. It's not so strong within the mental field that you, you know, that we're all going to give up. But it's still pretty bad, and it's bad enough that we have to be very cautious because this world is tenuous. Very few worlds are like here because majority of people's minds are contaminated up to the sixth subworld of the mental world, and that part gives us a, a whole skewed element of misunderstanding about evil, and it allows propaganda and all the other uses that are used by it. And it allows us to become convinced that evil may not exist. And it has grown atheism, even against our awareness and sense of God. Evil has convinced a lot of people, but not everybody, that there is no God. There's no reason to be have God. God doesn't exist, now, the interesting thing about this, I'm going to go back to the beginning of the show, I told you about, and I first wrote paper about all the things that we talked about tonight. And in the paper, I went to a place called the Humanistic Psychology Institute, it's now called Saybrook. And uh, this is this is like a post-doctoral thing, although it was a doctoral program itself. And, and in it, I was, I was writing stuff that eventually went against some of the principles of even the people that a lot of people were going there who were humanists, humanistic psychologists, who didn't necessarily believe that there could be a God or that God existed. And here I'm writing this stuff, it's more in the paper, so, so like a book about it, and it really actually is a, uh, it's the antithesis of the convictions of the number of people that I knew. Uh, it, it surprised me at the time that that's where I ended up going with it because that wasn't my intention. But it, you know, you 
got to go where it leads you to. And once I became convinced that not only could God exist, but God has to exist based upon quantum field theory, um, that left me in a very difficult situation, and it may lead you into this. Uh, I'm closing out the show here. Uh, because you're going to have people who have a lot of, we'll say, antipathy and maybe even hatred for your convictions about this new science. And it is a science. Don't kid yourself. This is not mysticism. This is not uh, any form of mystical. Uh, a bit of it is somewhat esoteric still being hidden, but it is science and it is the cutting edge of physics. And the best way to deal with people with that kind of reaction, let's say they are either atheistic or maybe they're following some kind of evil trip, the best way to deal with this is to explain this from the angle of the self as I started the show and talk about the God thing later because people need to first test out the theory by testing it out on themselves and seeing how it really is true and then you can expand it which is the opposite of the way I wrote the textbook because I, I did it more deductively than inductively but you can expand it to uh, to lead to the bigger picture of things without insulting or arguing with them about God. Because one of the things I've discovered is that people may have extreme uh, you know, reactions about God, but they don't have the same kind of reactions about themselves. <laughs> Even though the same principles are working, and they may be dealing with almost the identical um, physics in terms of mathematics, which I didn't deal with tonight at all. But it is the same stuff, and it's replicatable through all the different kinds of scales of fields and stuff. You can see the same thing. But but you don't. Have, you could start with just the self issues, and you can get very far before a person has to, you know may may come with the epiphany of this is about God. You know, I mean, it may take them six months, a year, even studying some of this stuff to come to that conclusion for themselves. And I have found that that is probably the best way to deal with people who are atheists or uh, dark. Uh, because Not that dark people are going to be gravitating towards quantum field theory, but I'm just saying that, that they might be. There might be a few ways. And so you have the opportunity, opportunity to avoid conflict by keeping it at the, the the lower field levels, where people can experiment with and prove to themselves, which is what I always teach, prove it to yourself. If you don't find it by proving it to yourself, you can disagree with me, I'm going to go to hell or whatever, it's okay, I don't mind. But most people, if they do experiment, they find it to be true. It's the people who are egotistical, whatever experiment, they just say, well, I already know, so I know you, that's not it. But most people actually will experiment, particularly once they get a little bit of flavor for this because they find it fascinating. And they want to know whether it's true or not, so they'll check it out. And you do come back and they say, you know that field theory stuff you're telling me is kind of true because I tested this and this and this, and yeah, sure enough, that happened, and the uncertainties increased, and the forces got worse, and all this other stuff changed around. And it's so amazing. 
amazing that the field is determined by thought. How I think, and then how I interact, greatly controls this whole field, just like you said. It would. And you predicted. And then I predicted. And sure enough, it turned out most of the time just like you said. Now remember, we can't expect that we're going to be operating within a field and be 100% sure that our awareness of what we're operating within is accurate. So that's why I say most of the time, certainly you're going to get some answers that are a little confusing or even conflicted. But that's normal. We just don't have the sense to be able to always come up with an awareness that is correctly true and accurate. Don't expect that of yourself or anyone else. But do expect that if you use what I've talked about tonight, you'll be able to convince yourself of that and help others to do the same, provided you don't start at the highest, you know, like, oh, well, i got to tell you all about God. I heard all about it last night. And especially if you're talking to somebody who's totally against that idea, you probably won't go over and you'll be paddling upstream. Don't do that. Well, you know what? <laughs> yeah, look at the time. What a show. Boy, it's went by fast. Well, we're out of time for right now. I hope this has covered the subject at a basic level so people can say, you know, I kind of got this idea. I kind of makes sense. You want to know more, get the book, Life's in Meeting, and read it. It's all in there, and in a lot more detail, in a lot of different ways than what I explained tonight, because this is a basic. Well, we're out of time for right now. So until next week, this has been Niles McFlower for Why Life Is.